0: Hi everyone, my name is Darren Griffith and you're very welcome to the 7th episode of the Lost Athletic Club Podcast. Thanks as always for listening. The usual request, please like, share, follow and subscribe and encourage anyone that you think would be interested to tune in. This really is the best way to support us. So in this episode we talk to Dr. Colin Griffin about strength and conditioning for runners. We also meet Lusk AC members Sean Greensit and talk marathons, volunteering, and parkrun. In terms of club news, there's been lots going on with the Dublin Senior Athletics Championships, the Dublin Junior Outdoor Championships, Imres Summer Races, the Women's Mini Marathon, and then we had the Stockholm Marathon, and the Cork Full and Half Marathon, all in fantastic summer weather. We also had three club members volunteer as pacers at the recent Irish Runner Five Mile in the Phoenix Park. So let's start with Colin Wall's interview with Dr. Colin Griffin. Hello
1: everyone, my name is Colin Wall. Today we are joined by former Olympic athlete, Colin Griffin, who is going to talk to us about strength and conditioning for runners. Colin is the lead clinician for foot and ankle rehabilitation and is also a strength and conditioning coach at UPMC Sports Surgery Clinic. He was also a full-time athlete for over 15 years and competed in the 2008 and 2012 Olympic Games in the 50K race walk. Good afternoon, Colin. Delighted you could join us. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Delighted to be on your podcast. Um, So, just to kick things off, um, for those who are new to this, um, can you explain what strength and conditioning is and how it benefits runners? Yeah, um, I'd see it more as athletic development. Um, Doesn't always have to be perceived as gym-based.
2: And basically, you're overloading everyday movement patterns. You know. squat movements, deadlift movements, lunges, hopping, skipping, jumping, pushing, pulling, you know, we do these things every day, um, but if we do it with, with a, a bit of extra intensity or extra resistance, you know, we're, we're developing, I suppose, broader athletic qualities, you know. Um, so I like to see that as, as, I suppose, trying to achieve um, a couple of adaptations, um, one being improving how your body coordinates overall. So doing whole body movements like, like squats, deadlifts, jumping type of movements. Um, another being improving how the muscle sort of recruits how the the brain sends a stronger stronger signal to the muscle so that muscle can work better and also to improve the quality of tissue of some sort whether it's muscle tissue bone tissue or tendon tissue Um, so again they're the sort of the main adaptations we're, we're trying to get with a view to making a small impact on someone's running performance and often to make the athlete more robust um, to minimise the risk of getting injured or if they are injured and if there's a reason for it, if it whether it's a combination of mechanics or um, poor muscle capacity, um, trying
1: to I suppose, address those deficits um, to get them back to their performance. Okay, um, and how does someone get started with strength and conditioning? Yeah,
2: it depends on their background and the level of experience and I suppose what's what what fits into their routine um, and I suppose it depends on their age profile and um, whether, whether it's a school-age athlete and um, someone who's going through third-level education, someone who maybe works full-time or part-time or someone who trains full-time if they're fortunate to do that or whether someone is I suppose, older and they've got family and other commitments, it's how you can fit, a routine in, fit, fit it into your routine and I suppose what's the most important areas you want to hit, what's most relevant to your performance or your injury history if you have one. Um, or what's the most important adaptation you want to try and get out of it. So uh, in an ideal world, um, I suppose having access to a gym, you've, you've got more equipment available to you, you've got more, um, I suppose you can do a lot more, more things, but if you really have to cut it into basics, you can do it anywhere, you know. Um, you can do it in your kitchen. Backyard garden room, kitchen, yeah. Back garden. Yeah, There'll come a point where if you do stuff at your own body weight to start with, it's fine, but there'll come a point where that might get a little bit too easy and it's, a, it's trying to find ways to progress it or add a new stimulus. I um, suppose well, to keep trying to get improvements and adaptations, um, but yeah, look, basic stuff. If someone, if you, if you're you really kind of stuck for time and resources, um, and you've got other commitments going on, and you're going to get a short window, if you have got a couple of dumbbells, kettlebells,
1: um, you know, you can do a lot of stuff at home. Okay, and um, how does strength and conditioning vary, for, like for different athletes? Yeah, um, I wouldn't say there's that much difference um i think the general
2: principles apply regardless of age or gender or or that, or that the movements are still similar you just might have to modify an exercise to suit where that is, is coming from and you know i would often have someone who's maybe 12 13 who could squat really well and i would have them doing more advanced stuff than say someone who maybe is in their mid to late 30s who never squatted before and you're trying to um Develop things that they haven't, that they probably neglected over years, and they might have a slower approach. So it just depends on their on their background and what they can do, and what the limiting factor is. Um, but the overall principles, you know, so how you might do like sets and reps. The type of exercise are probably similar. Um, you might just modify the athlete to suit their, their needs um, and, and any limitations they might have.
1: Modify the weight or the, the actual?
2: Yeah, so, so for example, not everyone can squat fluently with a bar in the back, do like a back squat. So you might, if someone struggles to hold their form at the bottom of a squat position, um, or they're not stable in that position, you might put a box or a chair under them so they've got something under them to, to um, have a little bit of a safety net um, mm. and also enable them to sit back on the heels a bit more and, and maintain their form knowing that they've got an option to bail out if they lose control um, so you might modify it that way some people they might be suited to back squat because they might have poor control of their, of their torso so they might be inclined to lean forward too much um, so you might maybe they might benefit more from doing a front squat initially just to retrain that squat pattern and the same for deadlifts not everyone can maybe pick a bar up off the floor and, and, and have a good sort of set position as they're about to start so you might maybe bring the bar up a little bit higher um, put maybe the bar on, or put the, the, the bar on, on a couple of blocks, so they're taking the bar more from the top of the shin, as opposed to from their ankles, um, and that might allow some people and myself. I would put myself in that category to get into a good position to, as they, as they initiate the lift, and they still get, get what they need out of the exercise. And the same when it comes to plyometrics, you know, not everyone can hop fluently or proficiently. Um, you might have to modify a plyometric exercise to give someone a more a safer, more gradual lead into it.
1: Well, actually, it's funny you should say that, that was one of my other questions about. Um, could you could you maybe explain, you know, to people who might know what what is plyometrics and and how does it benefit runners? Yeah, so it's um,
2: we kind of call it a reactive strength. So anything that about the reaction off the ground, where. Um, your muscle tendon unit, so think of the muscle and the tendon together, so like your calf muscles and your Achilles tendon, if you treat that as a whole unit, so when you hit the ground, when you, when you land on a hop or a skip, or even when you're running, you're putting a stretch in that muscle tendon unit, and most of the stretch comes from the tendon, and as the tendon stretches, it stores elastic energy, and as you go to push off, you, you, get, some, you, get, you get more energy back from the whole muscle tendon unit, more than what the muscle itself can, can give you, because the tendon can sort of act like a catapult. Um, but when you're doing something repeated over time the tendon can it's it's the way it, it stores energy it can make the muscles operate more efficiently so plyometric training helps to develop that, that quality um
1: so the plyometric would be like box jumps or not even box jumps or... um,
2: hopping yeah um, hopping or repeated jumping skipping I think that involves like a repetitive sort of interaction with the ground where you're...
1: So one leg stuff and stuff Yeah, like sometimes, it, yeah, we often would, would,
2: would, would um, suggest going double leg first. If you have no background in plyometrics, doing some double leg hops, like what we call pogo hops, just hopping on the spot mm. and looking for smooth ground contacts, keeping good control of your posture and then progressing on to maybe, maybe do the, the pogo hops going forward or different directions and then progressing on to one leg at a time and again on the spot and then going different directions and just make sure they're, they're fairly proficient doing those type of exercises, and then they'll be progressing on to maybe more higher intensity stuff like drop jumps, um, you know, hurdle hops, um, bounding, you know, more intensive bounding type stuff. So you want to make sure that the has a good background before they do, do that type of stuff because plyometric training is a quite a big demand on the body. Mm. So you want to make sure that the, all, the, all the different structures that are going to be stressed the most are able to handle that, and, and, and the athlete has developed up to, up to, to be able to tolerate that.
1: But again, you don't need to be in a gym to do this. No, no, do this in,
2: yeah, um, in a park or in, on, a, on a track or whatever. I mean, you can even do some of it as part of your warm-up. If you're, say, if you're working with kids in, in, in a juvenile session, you know, you can microdust a little bit of plyometric work into the warm-up and give them a little bit of exposure to it. Okay. But uh, I would say a box jumps, yeah. like jumping from the ground onto a box, I wouldn't really regard that as a plyometric exercise. It's more of like of a, an explosive strength type exercise. Um, so you're not getting the same... It's not like you're landing from a height and then rebounding again. Um, you're actually so going you're from... You
1: step down off the box. Yeah, you're jumping uh, from the box. Yeah. So it's
2: more of an explosive strength type exercise as opposed to uh, a plyometric. Um, even yeah. though it can be interpreted as a plyometric exercise, but it wouldn't It wouldn't be the same.
1: Okay. Um, <clears throat> I'll just say, like, how should you change the frequency or the intensity of strength and conditioning through a season or coming up through a race? Is this like... A year round is this something you should be doing year round or is it off season or how, yeah how would somebody how would you incorporate this into your your sort of your weekly schedule say yeah um
2: ideally should be done all year round um and obviously there are times when you're ra- during the competition season where you might dial back a little bit and do one maintenance session a week um at a, at a maybe a, like like a tapered version of it um, and you can probably maintain what you built up all through the season or the you know winter spring months, you know for up to ten weeks or so by just you know maintaining it once a week. Um, but if you work back at the start of the year, like t- unless you have any major, unless you're rehabilitating from something or any major issues, like twice a week is is enough for like a full S&C session. Um, when we're rehabilitating in the early part, we might go for a third session a week, depending on what we're trying to get out of it. Um, if they're not running as much, but if someone is fairly fit and healthy, they're looking for more performance and maybe robustness gains um twice a week is enough
1: that'd be like 40 minutes forty-five yeah. minutes maybe uh, for this is like yeah i mean
2: you shouldn't really definitely like nobody should be spending more than an hour in, in, in do, doing an ssc session um you know have you have your kind of warm-up uh, and then your main ex- session you know some sort of plyometric exercise some sort of a lift maybe some sort of a single leg exercise and i would definitely you know, for a runner like I put a lot more focus on calf strength as well because it's quite important for running and probably an area that's under valued and underappreciated. Um, so yeah, I mean wh- whatever that takes. Um,
1: yeah. um. So I remember, Darren was saying that he's not sure when he should be doing it. Um, so if in a, if in a typical training, should your s ideally now should your yeah. s and session be done on an on a running off day, or ideally or yeah can you cooperate it in the morning if you're running in the evening or where yeah would the, ideally where would it's, it's a tough one. It's question just i always get asked and it's very much <laughs> an individual thing um i definitely wouldn't do it
2: if you've got an interval session that day or, or a key sort of running workout um you know i wouldn't do it before that even if you do the session in the evening i wouldn't i wouldn't i try and avoid doing the gym that morning and at the same time i wouldn't do it straight afterwards either because you're too tired and you, you got two sort of different Adaptation pathways trying to compete with each other. Hmm. So if you if you have the option of doing a, your, your your key workout that morning, you could do a gym session that evening um, if, you, if you allow a five or six hour window. Um, so you do ideally you do the strengths the first. If you, yeah, no, if ideally you do you do your, your key workout, your, your running based session first. Oh right, okay, yeah, yeah, when you're yeah, fresh. So. If that's the main purpose of the day, like, um, and if you have to, then you could, you could if you do that in the morning, you could do your your S&C session that evening. That can work for some people. Um yeah. I suppose what you want to have is you want to make sure you have your one or two recovery days as pure recovery rather than trying to you know do a gym session that day um, okay. so there's no perfect solution I suppose um, you're always something's gonna take from something else and I suppose you have to kind of weigh up what's what is the
1: oh, what Boy. could you compromise on yeah yeah um, um, with the advances with the advances in research um, are there any exercises now that should be avoided not really. There's no. I mean, there's no bad
2: exercise as such. It's just how you, how you do it, and if you're in a, if you are able to do that exercise, um,
1: so you know, there's no. Maybe for for runners, say, is yeah. there anything that, you know, it, it's kind of unhe- it's not helpful for for runners, say, or. Um,
2: can't say this, if you think of your common strength exercises, there's no one that I can pick out that to say don't do, you know, unless mm-hmm. you have any reason that you can't do it, for there's an injury or some sort of limitation that your, your body has. Um, you, again, you could just modify it to make it suit you better rather than you trying to fit something that's not suitable. But I wouldn't say there's any exercise such that you want to avoid it. Once you execute it well and get your sets and reps right and get the right adaptations from it, um, you know, that, that, that's, your, that's what, what, what I would, you know, base it on.
1: Okay, um, well, uh, congratulations on your amazing performance at the Belfast Marathon at the end of April this year, finishing in a time of 2.26.41. Well, thank you, yeah. <laughs> um, so, I suppose, with so many commitments between work and family life, um, I suppose I have two questions. A, how do you stay injury-free and like, what does the typical training week look like for you? Yeah, and so the first
2: question, I don't stay injury-free,
1: <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm human as well. Um,
2: no, like I have small things. Look, I mean, even in the lead up to Belfast, like I had a small, well, I say small, I have had a back issue on and off the last year and a half. So, the, um, a little bit of a hernia disc at my bottom of my lumbar spine, so the L5S1 um, disc. And that caused a lot of problems last year where the disc, um, I suppose, bulged out a little bit more, hit the nerve root, and caused a, a big loss of strength and numbness down my right lower leg. So, that kept me out for a good few months last year and I got back, but definitely took a long time to get my fitness back and I would definitely be prone to a few small flare-ups every now and again and I had one you know nasty one a, a month before the Belfast Marathon and it was a week I was defending my PhD as well so uh probably something in like that when when right. and I suppose with, with two young kids where sometimes quality of sleep might not be great every night um, and so suppose I'm trying to uh um you know keep a few balls in the air um, you know when the body's a little more stressed and maybe recovery isn't as good that's you know that's that's probably a, a bit of a a red flag scenario for me so um yeah so uh, they do happen from time to time and um, it's something i have to manage and most certainly need to keep on top of my snc work to to, to, to manage it so uh, what would a,
1: what would a i suppose in the middle of your or marathon season what, what would a typical week have looked like
2: yeah during the week i like to run early in the mornings and um, i suppose game at work and family i like having a bit of time to myself so i get out early around six or quarter by six mm. um, on an average day that could be like eight miles and an easy day that could be like you know four or five miles and another day it could be 10 or 12 miles depending on where I'm at in the season if, and, and if I'm building up towards a marathon I might do more of those 10 to 12 mile runs if I can early morning and then usually on a Wednesday I would do some sort of workout whether it's an interval session or a tempo run um, and then on the weekend I do my long run um, Saturday or Sunday and, and that run that's one the one run of the week most weeks so I'd meet up with a few lads in the Phoenix Park and, and have a bit of company Everything so else. You're
1: just going to ask, yeah, Do you yeah. train by yourself or most of yeah, the time I train by myself,
2: yeah, which is fine. Yeah. I suppose I, I just with my, my schedule can be a little bit uncertain sometimes. So just like having the flexibility to, and I suppose like having the time to myself too during the week before I, I suppose I come back and get the kids off to crash and so on, and then yeah. Yeah. have my own days to work ahead of me, um, just like having a bit of time to myself and, and, and that and enjoy it. Um, um, and then I suppose in a, two evenings a week, then so I do all my runs in the morning, and then I suppose to answer your previous question or give my own experience. I do a lifting session, a gym session, and usually on it Tuesday and a Friday evening after work. So you try and do two a week. Yeah, where I can, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't always happen. Again, just when I was in the in the lead up to my PhD defence, and even I was submitting back in January, you know things were busy and something I had to give. So I wasn't always getting. I was trying to get one good session in a week where I could, but um, again, it's hard to do everything all in one go.
1: Final question to finish, um, probably putting on the spot here, but what would you if what would you say would be the, the top five? strength and condition exercises that you would recommend to any runner to help the performance and um, help them stay injury free. Yeah, um,
2: yeah, definitely a, a plyometric exercise. Doesn't mean they start it straight away if they haven't done it before, but work to the point where they can do plyometric exercises. So um, having a, the right entry level version of that exercise and then, and then build it up. Some sort of whole body lift, like a squat or a deadlift, um, really good just for overall coordination and overall strength, maximum strength. Um, some sort of a single leg exercise, so like a step up or a lunge, and definitely some sort of a calf exercise. So um, I suppose I'm harping on with the calf a lot. I suppose my PhD was, was focused more on Achilles tendon rehab, um, and I suppose in the process of doing that, um, I suppose I had my finger in the pulse in terms of um, good quality studies that looked at how important the calf muscles are for running. And we know that the calf muscles, when you're running at slow to steady state speeds, you're actually working the calf muscle close to full capacity when we sprint we're bringing the hip muscles into play a little bit more and um, so we think that just because we run slow we're, we're, we're maybe it might be sparing the calves but not necessarily so if you' got if you're dealing with calf muscles that have limited capacity, it takes a lot less for them to get fatigued and tired and potentially injured and um, so it's probably an area that runners don't traditionally do in a strength training program and I think it's it's quite
1: important so this would be they could this is something you could do on on your stairs like other yeah calf raises and stuff.
2: Yeah, oh, I suppose that often people, you know, they just tend to stick with body weight stuff. But I think the calf needs, it's a big force producing muscle. It's actually, you know, you might think they're big muscles, but because of their architecture, um, they can produce a lot of force. They've got their, 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 their muscle. There's three muscles that make up your calf muscles, and they're, they've got short fibres that are angled at an angle away from the tendon, so that you can pack a lot more fibres into an area muscle, um, and they're designed to produce big forces. Um, so definitely try to, in an ideal world, I, I, my ideal version of that exercise is, is to do it on a smith machine where you've got a, you know, the, like a squat rack with a sliding bar yeah, where, where you're quite stable and you can lift quite heavy and be able to do like sets of eight reps at maybe more than half your body weight. Uh, and when you're doing calf raise at that weight, you're also working the tendon and getting good positive tendon changes, making the tendon more elastic and able to store energy better and make the muscles, I suppose, more efficient. Um, so from a performance point of view and an injury point of view, definitely
1: um, should you... St- when you're doing that spit machine exercise, should you step up on a should you be on a little box? Yeah, sort of ideally if you're or? yeah. Um yeah, so you let, let
2: the heel drop into a little bit of um into in, into a little bit of dorsiflexion so you're working the muscle tending a to more 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 range, um and getting a bit of, more of a stimulus on the tendon. Um yeah, but definitely if you I definitely would be keen to, you know loads up a bit more than your own body weight if you're doing a calf exercise even if you haven't got a sit machine if you've got a dumbbell you know definitely be trying to work up to
1: 20 kilos again depending on your background and experience okay so you have a plyometric exercise is some sort of hopping yeah. say, um uh squat a squat, so, squat, squat or a deadlift, deadlift or you could do one on one day and another on a different day a single leg exercise like a like a step up or a, lunge, like a step up or a lunge or some variation of that yeah. and and don't forget the calf yeah. calf raises yeah. um, with a weight or maybe even one leg calf raises on your stairs yeah doesn't have to be stairs like you can still go from the ground um, but definitely try and add weight to it in some way okay um, listen Colin, I think that's thanks very much for joining us um, I think you've given us some very valuable insights into the importance of strength and conditioning um, for runners of all ages and uh, thanks very much thanks Colin. thanks Darren thank you
0: Brilliant advice there from Colin Griffin from UPMC Sports Surgery Clinic. So next up, my interview with Sean. Hi Sean, you're you're very welcome. Thanks for agreeing to chat to us. Um, I think it's fair to say that you're a a very well known and popular member of Lusk AC. So uh, I suppose this evening I plan to talk about your love for running and in particular running marathons, your membership of Lusk AC, and a bit about your training and also Donabate
3: Parkrun. Okay, thanks Darren.
0: Super. So just to say, actually, this is our first uh, interview outdoors. We're in Newbridge uh, Park and it's a beautiful summer evening. So we'll have some of the sound effects like the the, the crow calling in the the background. But um, it'd be great if we could start, Sean, by um, please telling us a bit about yourself.
3: Okay. uh, so I'm originally from a place called a, a city called Ripon in North Yorkshire, second smallest city in England. Uh, my wife actually calls it a village, but <laughs> uh, I'm now living in Donabate, have been since 1995. Uh, very lucky to live here. Um, only took me 10 minutes to walk to the, the park uh, this evening, so yeah, it's a beautiful place. Um, and I work just across the road in uh, Tesco Distribution, so I actually, I think I actually run more miles than I, uh, I drive nowadays.
0: Ah, super. Very good for the environment. Yeah. You don't own that crow by any chance? do you? <laughs> no. <know? laughs> okay, cool. Um... Okay, so um, I understand you've run 21 marathons, which is uh, a very respectable number of marathons, I must say. But um, maybe let's take it back to the beginning. Um, when and how did you get into running?
3: Okay, so uh, I think it was in 2011, and we uh, decided at work we would do November, which, you know, you, you grow a moustache yeah, for, yeah. for the month of <laughs> November. And at the end of the month, we, there was a, a 10K race uh, in phoenix park so did a little bit of training for that and uh, actually enjoyed the race and kind of went from there um i did a couple of shorter races you know 5ks 10ks and got involved with parkrun as well in malahide so that was the introduction to running
0: yeah, good stuff uh, November, movember great cause um So look, uh, I've got a couple of questions on on some of your marathons. Um, Would you tell us a bit about your most recent marathon?
3: Yeah, so that was in Leeds, I think it was about middle of May. Um, There's the Rob Burrow uh, MND Marathon. So Rob Burrow is a former rugby league player for Leeds Rhinos. So that would be one of the teams that I support. Uh, And Leeds is only 26 miles from my hometown of Ripon so, it, so it you just... ran
0: there and then did the marathon <laughs> yeah
3: i uh, it was just one that when when it was announced uh, it was the first marathon in leeds for about 20 years so i just had to do it uh when i actually did it it was um quite a tough one it was a very warm day and very hilly um one particular hill lasted for about three kilometers so uh, definitely a challenging one but great enjoyable. atmosphere on the day yeah and i actually finished and uh in the rugby league stadium which i've spent a a few hours in previously so it was really nice to finish on the pitch
0: So that's it everyone should try out Leeds Marathon will it take place again next yeah, year? It's yeah it's already
3: announced for next year Yeah.
0: Then how about your most memorable marathon?
3: Uh, so I'd say that was probably London uh, the first, I've, I've done London twice the first year it was 2017 I, I actually did it for Temple Street Children's uh, Hospital so I raised €5,000 um, and got an entry thoroughly enjoyed the marathon, um, the atmosphere on the course, just incredible. You know, crowds everywhere um, and the, the marathon itself is an, a, a nice one um, and I actually got the good for age time that year so I was able to get an entry into the following year as well. So, uh, yeah, really, really memorable marathon.
0: Brilliant. And did you have to do the ladder to, to get an entry? or
3: No, well, the first one was because I was doing it through oh, Temple through Street okay. so uh, that's how I got into it. It's very difficult to get into
0: Yeah. I know every year you hear people talking about entering and... uh, (laughs) Yeah, and failing to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, encourages people to raise money as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, cool. And I know you've run Donadie a few times now. Obviously, D is longer than than a marathon, but could you tell us a little bit about D and your experience in running it?
3: Yeah, so the first time we did it was in 2017, and a a few other members of the club were talking about doing it uh so i, I kind of like a challenge so um i he did it 2017 it's a 50k uh, run and it's all running donady forest uh, 10 laps of a five kilometer route uh and it's just incredible it's uh, you know everybody you, obviously you go past all the supporters 10 times whereas on a normal marathon you might see them once or twice if you're lucky but you're, And so you put all your gels and your whatever you want to eat or drink on there during the course of the, the marathon on a table and grab them as you go by. Uh, but really nice, supportive atmosphere. Uh, there's a couple of little inclines. You think there's minor inclines on the first few laps and then they gradually get like mountains <laughs> towards the end of it. But So I did it the first year and said, right, OK, I think I'm done with this now. And then immediately signed up for the next year and the next year and... Eventually got my target of getting under four hours uh, in that's 2020, amazing. and then did a virtual Donnedy around Donabate and Portran the following year during COVID. Uh, I think I'm done with it now.
0: Okay, done with <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Um, well, that's fantastic. Uh, it is a popular one amongst the club. The club, quite a few. Yeah, a number of
3: people it. have done, and uh, the support um, we get there is incredible as well. You know, members of the club coming along and. Uh, like the, the last time we did it, I had uh, Sheila and Dwayne pace me through the last 25k, which was brilliant. You know, because sometimes it can be a lonely place uh, when you're when you going through the hard miles. But, you know, having somebody just to chat to or I was kind of just listening, really. They were chatting, <laughs> I saving my, my energy for the run. But, Good stuff. Yeah. Sounds
0: great. Great support. Absolutely. Um, so um, when and why did you decide to join Lusk AC?
3: Uh, yeah, so that would have been back around 2015. Um, I look after the Tesco Community Fund in the, in the job um, and so we're always look, on the lookout for good causes to, to give the cash to. And I think the particular theme for that month was um, sports clubs. So I happened to be an Park parkrun and there was a girl there wearing a Lusk top and got chatting to her and, you know, a Lusk a good club and all that sort of thing. and. I, uh, anyway, so we nominated. She didn't
0: realise she was being interviewed. <laughs> no,
3: so we nominated them for the community Brilliant. fund, and a few of the club came out to the distribution centre for a tour, and said, "Why don't you come along for a training session?" So uh, I think the first time I went out, it was a Sunday morning. I went out for a run with Seamus and Geraldine, and um, I, you know, immediately saw how what a friendly club it was. Um, so I, I officially joined in January 2016 and never regretted it
0: good stuff never looked back that's fantastic um so i mean one of the reasons i wanted to get you on is you know you've a very strong track record of volunteering so can you maybe tell us about some of the, the roles that you've taken on within the club and what you've taken personally from those experiences
3: uh yeah so i'm currently a pro for the adult section of the club um, so that would involve. Uh, so
0: public relations after, is it? Yeah, it. yeah. Uh,
3: basically, uh, mainly writing uh, race reports and putting up the results uh, for any races our club members do. Uh, or park runs, we do a park run roundup every Sunday for the previ- from the previous day. It's like a consolidated report comes out from park run, and I then would uh, basically go on to I'd, I'd work out where everybody's been running over the weekend. Go onto their Facebook page, the Facebook page of the park run, see if there's any photos, uh, maybe see if there's PBs uh, being achieved over the Saturday, and um, you know, put that in the report. Oh,
0: there must be a bit of work in that, in fairness. Ah,
3: there's a little bit, but it's enjoyable, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, following people's progress. Um, Particularly and, the
0: tourists, people going,
3: yeah, uh, seeing who's, who's going yeah. um And then the other races, it's just a case of kind of You might go on to my run results or pop-up races see what the main race is uh, you know and just search for lusk uh see who's been doing what um and then you might just it might pop up on somebody's strava that they've just happened to have done a half marathon or a marathon so then you're on the search for uh, photographs from their race pages uh stuff like that you know it's just getting interest in in the club really um other than that i would be involved in say uh, helping a net out with the uh lust for a mile uh the race budget seeing you know is it going to be profitable that kind of thing how the entries are looking um what the costs are looking like um revenues uh so it's kind of a labor of love it's similar to sort of stuff i do in the job
0: okay good stuff uh
3: busman's holiday but it's <laughs> a, a kind of a bus that i enjoy driving so
0: yeah ah, good good stuff um and I suppose you get to meet lots of people through volunteering, and yeah, uh, you, you must have a lot of you follow a lot of people on Strava, I'm sure. Yeah, keep to yeah. um, on top of this.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's it's enjoyable. I mean, I'm, I, I suppose I'm, I know a lot of people in the club. Although there's a huge amount of new members in the last couple yeah. of years, so um, you know, constantly been introduced people to people when I go to a race or the occasional time I uh, go to training. <laughs>
0: so, I knew kind of when I first met you. You know, probably maybe. Yeah, about a year ago now at this stage, uh, I was trying to place you, Mm. and of course, uh, I'd seen you before at Donabate Park Run. Right. So, what inspired you to set up a park run in Donabate in 2015? And many congratulations, by the way, it's (laughs) fantastic.
3: Um, Okay, so I suppose my park run journey would have started around 2013, when a few weeks after Malahide had been set up. um, My wife Elaine registered us both for... Malahide Park Run, but well, it's, it's actually for just Park Run in general. You know, you can yeah. use your barcode for any any Park Run in the world. Um, and because she, she knew, it, you know, I'd just sort of taken up running, so she thought it might be enjoyable. So I quickly became hooked on it. I, it was, you know, it just to me, it's just an incredible concept where you go run. Uh, all you have to do is bring your barcode, and you get a timed result very quickly. Um, and a whole history of all your your, your results. So that I could, I really thought this was amazing. Uh, the first few weeks I went, I kept expecting to, somebody to send me a bill in the post for uh, <laughs> you know the, the oh, value incredible. I was getting out that's of it. Incredible, yeah. So um, I kind of got the concept of volunteering as well, because um, you know obviously it just doesn't happen without volunteers. So if I was injured or I'd say I had a race the next day, I would go along to Malahide and do timekeeping or barcode scanning um and i suppose i became known to the core team over there anyway with about 2015 uh, matt shields who was the country manager for uh, parkrun island he sent me a mail and just said would i be interested in setting up a helping to set up a parkrun in Donabate?" so i said yeah absolutely um and basically got a kind of team of people around who were interested in doing the same thing others who'd run at, at Malahide as well or just general people and, and you on the, the running scene um, so basically just where we're sat at the moment is where our finish line used to be right on the croquet lawn um, we so it was a case of just going around working out what sort of course we could get you know whether we needed to one lap two laps going around with a, a measuring, wheel. <laughs> measuring wheel yeah, uh, and liaising with Fingal County Council. We got a lot of help from Parkrun as well on, on setting it up. They provide all the equipment, um, so it was just making sure we... and did a test run as well, uh, making sure we had enough volunteers for the day. Um, but basically, we then got eight, eight nine, 10 run directors who were part of the core team, and so we all took it in turns to be run director. Um, and then a, t- a whole other team of people who didn't really want the responsibility of run director but were happy to volunteer on a regular basis so uh, we've, we've had um, quite a few course changes over the years uh, the first one when they decided to put the croquet lawn on our <laughs> finish line um, but yeah it's been really enjoyable uh, you, know, I, I, you know I still come along most Saturdays and either run or volunteer uh, yeah. so it's, it's just amazing having it on your your doorstep, basically. Oh my
0: God! I'm like sitting here now. I know, I know it's a a summer's day, but it's absolutely gorgeous park. Like it's just fantastic, yeah, beautiful, um, and I, I was going to ask you about logistics. I think you you kind of covered it. Obviously, there's a lot of support from Park Run. Um, so i mean how has the park run changed here in in um Dunabate over the years
3: yeah so uh obviously the course changes so that was the first one we had another one where we were to move from the service road which we're back on now but uh because at one time there was a lot of work going on in the house so quite a few big trucks were coming down that road and it just didn't uh you know it, it could have been a bit of a disaster if you had a, a truck meeting uh 200 runners uh so we we've changed it once or twice probably actually more than once or twice but uh you know we we used to have the, the old brave heart start on the grass and uh my um my particular favorite the the two u-turns <laughs> not everybody's favorite but. They, were, they were a challenge I'll give me that uh, and then the equipment has changed as well Um, so anybody who would have seen us in the first few even up to a couple of years ago uh, would have seen us in the cafe with a laptop and lots of wires going from stopwatches and barcode scanners into the laptop uh, and then trying to get the wi-fi sorted and you know it could be a bit messy Um, even the barcode policy the no barcode policy wasn't really enforced in those days so you could have a lot of manual entry to do so uh, in the, in recent times uh, now it's all kind of automated. You people barcode scanning and timing on their own phones on yeah. an app, uh, and it's so easy. It's just a very very quick upload and uh, yeah. very little manual input now.
0: I love the barcode. You can put the barcode on your Garmin. That's uh, a yeah, yeah 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 yeah. Um, and in terms of numbers here at Danabate, has it grown?
3: It has. Yeah. Um, our, we, we get all sorts of stats. So our average for the whole history of Donna Park Run is 150 participants um, the last last week we had uh, I think it was 200 um, and it's been around 180 for the most of the last couple of months so um, one thing that one other thing that's changed is probably been more walkers now than what there would have been Brilliant. originally uh, so everybody is encouraged you know it doesn't matter what your ability is um, we just encourage people to come along and enjoy it uh, participate by either running walking or volunteering yeah
0: fantastic I, lo- I love that ethos get everyone mm. involved um so i believe you've handed over the race director reins to patrick phillips a fellow lusk ac member in uh, 2021 yeah any words of advice that you offered patrick <laughs>
3: yeah the first one was uh, don't change the course and of uh, course so within about a month um the general consensus was that we should change the course uh so you know we now have a slightly different course without my favorite u-turns without the brave there hats there might out. be
0: a call for them to come uh, back you never
3: know no not by many i don't think but to be in hindsight uh, i probably should have done it earlier um it's i think most people enjoy enjoy this course more than what they did the previous one and it's quicker as also well, yeah yeah uh, oh, they like the quick yeah quicker no Patrick, times. patrick's doing a great job oh, i'm sure
0: he is that's that's brilliant um so look um i'd like to finish with a few quick fire type questions um first up uh, what's your most exotic park run
3: exotic uh i would say probably chrissy fields which is in san francisco Ah, cool. uh sadly i don't think it's it's uh, it's Still going, but uh, yeah, it was the first day of our holiday in San Francisco. What do you do? You go and do the park run Perfect.
0: Yeah, and favourite is that, was that your favourite as well?
3: Um, our Donavate, of course. Uh, well. Donavate probably Donavate's probably been my favourite. I've done. I've, I do um, every time I go to Yorkshire. I do a different one over there. Fountain's Abbey actually is probably the nicest one. Uh, that's in my it's just outside my hometown of Ripon it's just incredible it's just sat on a, a ruined abbey uh, um cool. worth doing if you ever get a chance
0: super I, I get over to leeds every so often i can right. try and try and find it um okay so number of kilometers run in a in a typical training week
3: uh probably about 40 kilometers uh, a few years ago it might have been a lot more but i, I had a few injuries in the last few years so i'm I'm now going for um, not. I wouldn't say quality over quantity, but I'm I'm not doing junk mileage just for the sake of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So about forty k a week.
0: Okay, good stuff. Um, plenty of miles in the legs anyway, so you're you're well, you're well yeah, set up. Yeah. Um, first race with the club.
3: Uh, well, I think it was the f- first week I was officially a club member. That would have been the, the Masters Cross Country in Saint Anne's park uh, a muddy cross country long buster yeah yeah very much so
0: <laughs> good stuff in at the deep end then okay and uh, most memorable club
3: moment um i'd say that's possibly the uh, the infamous um, fingal half marathon uh which started in uh this particular well it just it was starting just outside the park here and went through lusk Just the, a lot of people didn't have a great experience, but my experience was running through Lusk, wearing a Lusk vest and just feeling like a rock star, you know, the amount of cheers you were getting. Uh, And I think Lusk helped out where there was a shortage of water that day and a lot of club members came to the front and and helped out. Uh, But yeah, that was a really memorable moment.
0: Look, I had to mention this, but I mean, my sources tell me you've been seen close to Tower Bay, looking perhaps half naked sometimes <laughs> uh, what's what's that all about
3: okay so I'm assuming you're referring to the uh, the sauna or the sauna, uh, yeah. sea sauna uh, yeah so uh, I probably about once a week now I'd go down to Tower Bay and uh, book a sauna for 45 minutes and uh, get into the sea um, beforehand and then halfway through the sauna to cool down uh, I did a bit of sea swimming when I was out injured um, the year before last so uh, but it's it's just a brilliant experience, you know. A huge window in the sauna, and you, you're looking out onto the the sea, um, and then have a nice dip down in in the sea down there. It's yeah. it's really beautiful.
0: Fantastic! I know a lot of people in the club have uh, started to go along, so I think yeah, um, I'd recommend it. Yeah, I'll have to give it a go. Um, okay, so
3: favorite running shoes uh i wouldn't say i've got a particular pair I've, I've about half a dozen pairs like probably most of us uh, i just alternate them i've, I've uh a uh, pair of asics and a, a obligatory pair of nikes um uh, so not i haven't got a particular favorite really
0: okay cool um favorite post-run reward
3: uh i'd imagine it depends where i am if i'm across the water it would be a, a nice pint of ale um, over here a Guinness usually goes down quite well uh, with a after respectable time lapse after the at the end of the the, the run you know just to get the proper good rehydration in.
0: yeah sounds good i'm uh, i'm all for that um, and then uh, I suppose maybe some what tell us a little bit about some of the goals you might have going forward or uh,
3: yeah so i'm I've signed up for the Ratov half marathon in which is in september so i'd like to kind of have a good crack at a half marathon this year haven't really done many in the last couple of years. Um, But main goal would be um, stay injury free and and really enjoy my running. Sean,
0: uh, I say this to to all our guests, but of course it's uh, true. It's really been great to chat to you. And um, yeah, thanks so much for coming on. And I really wish you the best of luck with your, uh, your running and your half marathon.
3: Thanks a million, Darren.
0: Yeah, cheers. Thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate your support and hope you enjoyed the show. In our next episode in July, we will be talking to Emmett Dunleavy about marathon training and to Aidan McKenna, one of our juvenile coaches at Lusk AC. I'd like to thank again our guests, Dr. Colin Griffin and Sean Greensit, and of course the New Bridge Crow for the cameo appearance. Thanks to all the team that are working on the Lusk AC podcast, Colin Brown, Julie Griffith, Nicole Hudson, Dwayne Moore, Sean Smith and Colin Ward. Good luck to everyone competing over the next month or so, and to those starting their Dublin City Marathon training. So, we'll just finish by saying all the best from Los Casey.